So what do we want to start with? Uh, maybe we should tell our, our our group of listeners who Molly the Beautiful is. Yes, we have a guest joining us today. Um, I don't know. Do we want to introduce Molly or should Molly introduce herself? Who will do it more beautifully? Who will do it more accurately? Not us. <laughs> yeah. I, I, can, I can try. <laughs> Molly was in our MFA program, and she was actually a year below me. She was the same year as Bronte. And Molly's full name (laughs) is Molly Bacchus. She's the author of Princesses of Iowa. Which is a fantastic read. Thank you. Young adult, Midwest, teenagers. (laughs) There's kissing. There's beer. Mm-hmm. And there's driving. <laughs> that that sounds pretty- like high school to me. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> and Molly is also one of the most intelligent people I've ever met in my life. Uh, when it comes to not just like life advice, but also writing advice. And every time she was in a workshop, she would just shine because she would outshine the teacher. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> You know it, sweetie. It's true. You're making me uncomfortable. Okay. Well, I love you. Shut up. (laughs) And Molly is also the person who finally forced me to watch The Princess Bride. So that should tell you how much I trust her. Oh, I am? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Also Heathers. Yeah, and Heathers. And The Big Chill. We watched a lot of good movies together. Yeah, I'm really sad that we never got to Harold and Maude, though. That was my... I, we, I felt like I was working my way to... <laughs> never got there. <laughs> One day, we'll make it. Yeah, yeah next time I'm, I'm in Wisconsin. We'll make that. You also showed him that Tom Cruise movie. I remember that conversation. Top Gun? Yeah. No, I still haven't seen that. No. Molly has told me about it extensively. Yeah, because it's the the best movie (laughs) of all time. And I'm frankly very disappointed that we didn't watch it. But Bronte was very avoidant of that particular movie. He didn't want to see it. Mm. I was indeed. You really were. (laughs) (laughs) No way in hell. (laughs) What's wrong with Tom Cruise, Bronte? Plenty of things. Let's not get into it. Yeah, so many things wrong with Tom Cruise, but and the movie is like it is both wonderful and terrible. (laughs) Um, but it's it's actually it's good for uh, (laughs) for writers. Like I I've used it as like a fiction text in fiction classes before because it is so. Um, it's like so obvious the way that it's handling all of the beats in the story. Um, like there's like there's a guy who gives a speech that's like just the exposition, um, and so you can really and then they like named all the characters after their primary character traits, so the characters are named like 
Maverick, he's like the wild one. And Goose, <laughs> he's the silly one. And Iceman, he's like very cold and calculating. <laughs> like, <laughs> really. <laughs> <laughs> from what you've told me it's very structurally transparent it is that's what i'm saying it's like it's ve- like if you're trying to learn like what is a what is a really simple like story structure look like it's this like you can track <laughs> it's very it's very simple it's actually really tidy narratively like it sort of ends in the exact same place it starts which is always a fun that's sort of a fun movie trope, I think, is when, you know, like mm-hmm. the Lion King where the, the little, at the end, the baby, it's the new baby is being held up again. And you're like, oh, full circle. Spoiler alert. <laughs> full circle. Full circle. Spoiler alert. And there's another lion. <laughs> <laughs> um, See, this is what I'm saying. If she takes something like Top Gun, <laughs> it makes it into a craft lesson. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's it is, it's very silly it's like it's a craft lesson plus like pure 80s like testosterone and and silliness so highly recommend five stars <laughs> <laughs> and one last uh introductory element for molly she is currently riding the gravy train mm. uh Molly, where are you a fellow at right now? Will you tell us about it? Yeah, so I'm a 2019 fellow um, with the Tulsa Artist Fellowship in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And this is a year-long fellowship. Um, We have, I don't know how, there's a lot of us. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like there are, between this year's, cohort and the people that were here already I think there are like 40 or 50 of us um, oh wow yeah no there's so that's a lot of money Tulsa yeah 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 so um and there's about um about half of us are writers and the other half are um visual artists and the fellowship provides housing and a studio space and a monthly stipend um, as well as occasional free lunches <laughs> <laughs> and um, and and also does like a really good job of like bringing artists and writers to Tulsa and um, so I feel like every week there are people visiting giving lunchtime discussions or talks or um, doing like studio visits, there are a lot of um, just events going on all the time. Um, so, yeah, it's a very cool program um, that is totally funded by the George Kaiser Family Foundation. He is a billionaire uh, who is just dumping, he's dumping a ton of money into Tulsa. Um, so it's a really it's sort of an interesting like incubator of um as like of what it looks like when somebody dedicates a lot of money to the arts like what happens in a in a city in a community so yeah i feel really (laughs) it is sort of like utopia um (laughs) it is like the opposite of academia which is like such a scarcity model 
this is the opposite of that. So anytime you're like, I wish I had this, they're like, well, let's see if we can figure out a way to make that happen. <laughs> Jesus what? Christ. I know. It's really weird. It, that makes no sense to me. I've never heard of anything like no, that. No, I know. And there's, and it's like literally like in my, uh, like in the little kind of office suite where my office is, there's like a, there's like a supply room and they, they're like, do you guys need any more supplies? And we're like, what could we get some, I don't know, staples. And then the next day there's like 18 different staplers. there. <laughs> 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 it's so amazing. It's really amazing. It is like literally, it is so nice that last fall when we were here as kind of a, um, like an introductory weekend, um, we were getting this tour of all the facilities and it was just sort of like after a while, those of us, especially those of us who were coming straight out of academia, were all kind of laughing, like, what's the catch? Like, (laughs) you know, who are we going to have to fight to the death? Like, have to be sacrificed at the end. How much blood are you taking from us each week? Exactly. (laughs) Like one of us has chosen to live in the basement while everyone (laughs) 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 like Ursula Le Guin. Um, Yeah. So, but so far, you know, no catch. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) Wow. I've never experienced joy like that. No, I know. It's really strange. It's really strange. I mean, I guess the I would say the the thing that's like keeping it real for me is that um even, like it's not a ton of money <laughs> so it is it I still feel like I'm living on kind of like a shoestring budget um but you know but in but I'm not doing anything <laughs> so, <okay. laughs> I'm like, wow. yeah, it's weird. I'm just working. Like I'm just writing. I'm, it's totally self-directed. I don't know. Um, but it's, it's been an amazing experience and it's really cool to be a part of like this huge community of people that are all really excellent, um, you know, very high level like artists and um, are all, I think especially like working so closely with the visual artists, I feel like they are better at um, kind of like, I don't know how to explain this, but they're, they're sort of better at dreaming up and then manifesting big, weird projects. Um, Whereas the writers are sort of like, we don't know what to do. Like we're, (laughs) we have like, we're all kind of working on like novels or we have book projects or whatever, but it's like, we're not like, if somebody's like here, here's uh, if you can give me a good enough idea, I'll give you like $5,000 to go implement it. And all the writers are like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Give me a couple years. Yeah. I don't really know. And then the artists are like, Oh, well, can you give me 10,000? Because I need to buy, you know, $5,000 worth of like, pink fabric <laughs> and like and I'm gonna make something amazing like it's it's just I feel like they're better at you know I'm able to like fill up a space or um, mm-hmm. or have these big dreams and I find that really inspiring um and so that's been a really I don't know that's it's been a cool like uh 
challenge kind of to, to, to challenge myself and say like, what can I do that feels more bold or more daring or more, you know, I don't know, like that's, that sort of like is big enough to warrant living within this, this community in a way. Yeah. I feel like so many of the visual artists I know are like that, where they just have an idea and they get shit done. Whereas the writers are like always in our heads about things. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. And, um, and the other thing that I've really been thinking a lot about with the visual artists that was that, so the, when we all first got here in January, um, we had like a week of sort of like orientation and a big part of that was every single artist, both the incoming people and the people that had already been here, gave like a five minute presentation about their art. Um, and so, which was extremely overwhelming because <laughs> it was like a lot of people. Um, and so it was really hard, even, you know, to this day, I like run into people and I'm like, wait, what are you exactly? What do you do? And, um, but one thing I really noticed with the artists was, a lot of them would say like, oh, well, I studied, um, I studied like painting in school. I got my MFA in, in painting or in formal portraiture or whatever. I don't know. Um, but the thing I'm doing now is something that's very different from that. And I've had to sort of invent the form to like make the thing I'm trying to make. Um, and I, I heard artists after artists say that, that they had had to sort of almost invent the process and invent the form to express the thing that they're trying to do. And I thought that that, like that in a way that writers do that also, we just don't think about it or talk about it <laughs> or, mm. and I wish we kind of, I wish there was more discussion of that, how you, how like when you think about it, every novel in a way is its own invented form or many of them, not all of them. Some of them are pretty, pretty mm -hmm. basic, but, um, you know, that, that as you're trying to, and, and really like every story or everything you write, you're trying to figure out like what kind of a structure does this fit into? Is this more of a poem? Is this more of a short story? Is it flash? Is it, a novel is it a series of you know whatever and so you're you're trying to figure out the form and the structure but then within that um you know that sometimes you do have to invent new forms or try things that you personally haven't done before in order to tell the story in the right way um and so yeah I don't know I this is something I've been thinking about um and I, I find it really kind of inspiring that that we get to, like, hear from so many artists who are doing weird things. And there's a little bit of a permission to or almost a a, a challenge to, like, mm -hmm. push myself in the same way. Wow. So are you supposed to be working on a specific project while you're there? No. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that's really joyous. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I mean, obviously, I came in with a novel that I've been working on for the last, like, 360 years. But mm -hmm. um, but actually, I have taken 
the month of April off, and I have been working on an essay in which is also a project that is kind of old, um, or it's half old and half new. Um, but I, I think that like, I've really been appreciating the way that this fellowship is giving me the time and space to try different things because I feel like in the real world, you're always as a writer, um, you're always working in this sort of very narrow set of like, you have, you know, just a few hours a day or a week to work on your thing. And so you don't have a lot of margin to like go and do a different thing. You know, you're like, mm -hmm. if I'm writing, I may, I need to be putting the time into my novel. Um, I don't have time to, you know, write separate essays or do things on the side. Um, and so I, it's, it's, it's a, it, I feel like at, on the one hand, I feel sort of transgressive almost like walking, <laughs> taking a break from my novel, but at the same time, it's been really, um, it's been really fun <laughs> and exciting, uh, to just do, to do like a lot of research and about something that is sort of distantly related to my novel, but not, uh, not exactly connected and, um, mm -hmm. And, and write in a different mode for a while. So, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Tulsa. I know. I'm just, like, sitting in my little office and uh, I... With a thousand staplers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a free copy machine, or, like, a free printer. And, copy <laughs> <laughs> um, and nobody that I have to, like, justify copies to or anything. Um <laughs> Wow. I know, right? It's so weird. <laughs> You're telling me you don't have to lie about printing personal projects as something for school. This is exactly. mind blowing. Exactly. Yeah. I don't have like a I don't have like a quota of like pages per student or whatever. Um Yeah. That's and so interesting, like how it functions for you there, Molly, because where where we just like came from, the masters it's like you function on the basis of a deadline right. and of a project that you need to be working on. And right. so now you're like in the open seat being like, all right, where do I go? And then that's is a, that like yeah. overwhelming at yeah. times? It, it, <laughs> it is, it is, it is. And, and, and I'm not the only, like, like I would say that most of the people I've talked to have said that, that it's like, you almost have to find a way to build a structure mm. in your mm. day in order to not just feel like, you know, you're just lot like exactly what you said, like you're in the open sea. And so like, I was talking to somebody who was like, I need to start just going to the gym every day <laughs> as like a thing, you know, I need like structure. Um, mm -hmm. And I have, I have a little bit of structure just because of my dog, because um, I've been taking him to doggy daycare like a couple times a week. Um, just for a few hours and then, but I call it school and then <laughs> I'll come back and like, I'll work in the office. And then recently I've been going to pick him up and then I actually just bring him back and do more work, um, at my office and he can come with me to my office, which is great. Um, but also almost every day we go to the dog park about the same time <laughs> every day. That's our daily structure. 
mm-hmm. but it is it is definitely good it's like it's definitely giving me uh a sense of you know um of what it would be like to be just a full-time professional writer you know that mm-hmm. like how do you how do you structure your day or how do you how do you make your own deadlines or you know um and i think different people handle it in different ways yeah not having a daily structure for me has a or not having you know constant deadlines and stuff has meant i've been doing mostly extended decompressing and a whole lot of not writing <laughs> which which i think like i honestly i think that that is okay um i think that we don't we put too much uh weight on like productivity um as we're in a capitalist system that only knows how to mm-hmm. do a certain type of labor um mm-hmm. and so there's no value in like in letting the you know letting the soil regenerate or like go fallow for a while um <laughs> right whereas like as an artist realistically it's very difficult to just constantly produce 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 um you know at some point you're you you're gonna run dry um so and then that you know and that's not good and especially i think too like um if you are really tied to like a sense of self-worth based on your productivity whether that's like word count or count or you know number of Mm -hmm. published or whatever like uh then that's a very fragile sense of self-worth let's say (laughs) right right that's like a brittle it's a brittle way to value yourself um so yeah i definitely relate to that i didn't i basically didn't write at all last fall uh i just i don't know did it feel good no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did it feel neutral at least? Well, it was a rough. I mean, it was a rough fall. Like, cause my, you know, my dog was my other dog was dying, and so I spent a lot of time just like in doggy hospice and watching the Great British Bake Off, and then being depressed. Like after she died, I was just really sad for mm. time, and I didn't. And that's not a headspace of like wanting to write or wanting to do anything I didn't want to do anything mm-hmm. um, absolutely so and that which I think is okay um, you know I think you're making more trouble for yourself if you compound that kind of like grief or depression or decompressing or taking a break if you if you add to it the like self-flagellation of like I'm not and I'm not writing Mm -hmm. or whatever like that's just you know so um yeah I don't know it didn't it didn't I didn't feel good I didn't I just felt kind of bad in general (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't know that it was it didn't have much to do with writing or not writing um I feel like this is how the world should work like millionaires and billionaires giving their money out so we don't have to kill ourselves like <laughs> working and teaching so that we can have some writing time 
Yeah, it's it is really. I think the like the thing that I really am startled by in a way is how much um, how much quiet is like actually necessary to really create something. <laughs> And we're such a, we're a culture that's so bad at quiet. And so that's, that is something, that's a project I've made for myself while I've been here actually is sort of exploring that kind of quiet. And so like at times I have turned off, I like turned off social media. I've gone on podcast uh, diets where I stopped listening to podcasts. Um, no offense, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, that pause there. Yeah, uh, um, but just to like, what does it feel like to just have nobody else's voice in in your head um, for like a week or two? And it is, it's remarkable. I feel like I, it feels healthy, um, and but it's also the, it's like the kind of healthy that like for some reason is hard to mean it's not like a it's not like a easy healthy do you know what i'm saying it's not like i don't know Mm -hmm. it's like Mm -hmm. it's like a hard diet where you're like okay i'm only gonna eat i don't know what you know granola and eggs and then two days in you're like i want anything that isn't this you know like it's yeah it's it's weird you want you know you want the easy thing you want the french fries or whatever and social media is the French fries, right? Um, and so, yeah, turning all of that off and really kind of sitting in in quiet has been a good project, but it's also been really like it's hard. It's harder. It's it's embarrassing how hard it is. I think. Yeah, I think it takes a lot of attention and a lot of care to. Um to like cultivate a space where you're not constantly putting your mind on something or, you know, feeding your eyes some kind of, of visual information. Right. Well, we, and like, no, go. we're just so, we've become so accustomed to this, you know, it's like, it's not even like a 24 hour news cycle. It's like, you know, the, it's like a news cycle that is, it's it's you know changing every hour every half hour we think it mm-hmm. you know although if you start actually paying attention you realize that like how often is actual news breaking it's it's no probably no more frequent than it was you know 10 years ago it's just that it it feels more frantic it's this but we're so accustomed to that to the information coming at us that fast so that then if you go back to this this sort of pre-internet speed, uh, it feels really, you know, I don't know. If you like, you feel like you're missing out. It's like this kind of epic, like sense of, you know, FOMO. I bet. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's definitely been like, it's, it's making, I've been having moments where I, I remember what it felt like, like when I first graduated from college um, there was a six month period about where I was living by myself. I was substitute teaching for money. Um, 
and I was trying to write my very first novel and I didn't have internet in my apartment. So I would have to go to like the cafe down the street to get to like my email. (laughs) I didn't have a TV. um, And so I just like listened to NPR. Like that's how I got my news was NPR. And then the rest of the time I just read books and I like did craft projects. Um, And, and I've, I've had very like brief glimpses of what, my brain felt like at that time and that was a healthier brain I think (laughs) um and so like I went I I think I had like a one or two week break where I refused to listen to any podcasts which was very difficult because I'm kind of addicted um and instead I listened to this the internet radio um I listened to the radio from Minnesota, this radio station called The Current, which is out of Minneapolis, and it's an excellent radio station. Um, and so, but, like, I noticed that while, you know, I was just listening to, like, music on the radio, my brain was sitting there talking to itself about my novel and not listening to what people were saying about politics or pop culture or whatever, You know, and same thing, like, when I was off social media, I found that I was reading more and just kind of thinking more about my own projects and less about other people's stuff. Right. And this this is something I feel like I've known, but I've also been learning and relearning kind of constantly, especially recently, is that... um, like the the constantly browsing feeds and you know say watching tv or playing a video game or always having particularly my eyes engaged with something uh is sort of just a way to quiet my brain which isn't really conducive to my creativity right that's not where my that's not where my stories come from and so i've noticed like when I when I make sure that I'm not letting any of those things quiet my brain is when I start having, like you said, a lot of thoughts about my writing, about just my creativity in general, and just start really like becoming immersed in the stories that are floating around inside my head, which is mm-hmm. sometimes very uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 like all of that media is like a pacifier for your brain and it gives it something else to think about. And so, but then it, it's not thinking about anything worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, yeah, I used to, and I, I agree. I am the same way that this is something I keep learning over and over again. Um, when I lived in Chicago, I used to challenge myself to just be quiet on the train on the way to work and mm. and just like look around and not listen to a podcast, not read a book, not look at Twitter, you know, and ju- like literally just like sit on the train and like look out the window or look at the other people and just be quiet and see what happened. Um, and that is, I think it's really good for you. Um, but it's also... I mean, for whatever reason, we have decided that the scariest thing possible is that you might be bored for, like, 10 seconds. 
or like be left alone with your thoughts i think i think it's so scary yeah it why but i mean it's <laughs> but it's but it, and i think that that is that is like the heart of so much of like writer block and what makes writing difficult is that like we've all collectively decided that like the one thing we definitely don't want to do is listen to our own brain <laughs> and then but to write the pro the whole project is going and listening to your own brain right and so mm -hmm. it's like the very thing that we've decided that is worth avoiding at all costs and then we're like oh but now i'm gonna make myself do that um yeah I have some data that can maybe prove this theory. Like I was telling Bronte in earlier episodes that every time I go on vacation, I come back and like vomit a story <laughs> into, into existence. And it's because I had like that peaceful, relaxed, detached vacay. So it did something to me. Yeah. It, like reset my system. Yeah. Yeah. But living in that, that's something I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah it's it's wild i've i've also like i've been reading a lot i've been reading a lot and i think that that's good too because sort of it's giving me the chance to really um to sort of reintroduce myself to like what even is literature and what do i like what do what am i drawn to i think that in some ways, like, the MFA program, like, just confused me and distracted me from the things I already knew, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, right, what do I like? Like, I don't, I'm not that interested in what is quote-unquote good or not good. I'm just interested in, like, what do I like? What am I drawn to? Mm -hmm. And so... Yeah, but again, I think it's, like, even just forcing myself to read is, like, so much harder than it used to be when I was, you know, a kid or when I was younger. Like, I remember being, like, I don't know, in my teens or 20s and people would say, like, oh, I wish I could read more. <laughs> And I was like, you can, just do it. That's stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And now I, I feel like I've I've I have some sympathy for that because I have definitely, you know, I have to kind of make a conscious effort to go, okay, you have to put your phone down. You have to yeah. you know, you have to unplug and like you're just gonna focus on reading this book now. Um Yeah, and you have to learn to ignore that twitch in your hand that's like okay well maybe i should check my phone now oh god i was noticing maybe now the other day that like my i was reading and i was and i'm i'm currently reading the overstory by richard powers which is like won all the awards and is very very good um like it actually you know you read it and you're like no no yeah i get why you won all those awards. <laughs> <laughs> this makes sense to me um it's really good but even and I've like been feeling like I almost don't want this book to end. I want to read it forever. And yet, when my phone makes a noise, I instantly pick it up. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like deeply immersed in this book that I love and that I think is so good. And then my phone's like, being and I'm like, yes. How can I help you? <laughs> what do you have to say yeah. to your phone? And I'm like noticing that in myself, and I'm like, that is troubling. <laughs> you know. 
Well, I've um I have been reading this book Buddhism is true and I can't remember the author's name right now. Um but one of the things he talks about is like mindfulness meditation as um a means for breaking like habits and breaking addictions. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I do think like very much the information that we get from our phones has an addictive quality. And something that stuck out to me in this book was um, he talks about like, you know, if you're trying to quit smoking, it's not enough to say, okay, I want to smoke right now, but I'm denying myself that pleasure that, you know, just ends up kind of like delaying whatever it is you're looking for. And he talks about, how mindfulness meditation is instead about like understanding what that, that impulse is, what, you know, why is my hand twitching when I'm reading, trying to reach for my phone constantly? Like what, you know, like what processes are happening in my brain when that happens and like, rather than not giving into it, he proposes just trying to find out why you're having that impulse in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've been trying to do that more, but it's hard because sometimes I'm doing something and then all of a sudden I'm in my phone. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. And then yeah, you're, you're... and you've lost like a half an hour and you don't know. <laughs> oh, that's the worst part. <laughs> it's the opposite of mindfulness, right? Yeah. Like mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What you're describing, Bronze, is like behavioral therapy, like examine your behavior and connect it to the thought that's like rooting, rooted in that behavior. Um, mm-hmm. And something that I know I'm supposed to be doing is be more present. And I hate that idea because I'm like, I'm here. What's up? But I'm not here. I'm like in my phone or I'm like in my fucking email. How many, how many hours a day am I in my email? I don't know. But I'm not here. Too many. And I think that's reflected on my on my writing. Like it's not being done because I'm not there for it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm teaching a creative writing class through the um, Oklahoma State University uh, like extension outreach program. So it's like a community writing class. Mm-hmm. And so last night we were doing free writing. And I was telling my students, like, this is kind of like the building block of writing. This is like practicing scales. This is like layup drills for writers, right? And this, this, and just free writing, like, where you just sit down and you write for 10 minutes, longhand, whatever's happening in your brain, like, is a way of, like, sort of clearing out your pipes. And it's also a way of getting to know your own brain. And it's the, I mean, that's the foundation of my writing practice from, like, from when I was a teenager and somebody first put a Natalie Goldberg book in my hand and she's, like, she kind of is the person that popularized that as a method, um, this idea of free writing. And she was, uh, or is still, I guess, but she is, like, a Buddhist student. She's a student of Buddhism and also a writer. So, like, it makes sense that she would have this free writing Mm -hmm. as a thing that is very similar to meditation kind of Mm -hmm. Um, but it's something that I have gotten really far away from um in the last I don't know what 
a long time now, many years. Um, but I was, so I was free writing with my students last night and I was resisting it. Cause I was like, I don't need to do this. <laughs> and, I'm a professional. I, damn it. Yeah, exactly. I've a book. And so, but I was doing it anyway. And, um, and I, and I thought, you know, part of what free writing does for you is it, it helps you develop a relationship with your brain. And what I was telling my students was like, your brain wants to be heard, right? And so a lot of times like when you're free writing, you can start and say like, okay, I'm going to describe like, I don't know, my childhood kitchen or something. And your brain will literally break it into the page and be like, I don't want to talk about this. I want to talk about like my ex-boyfriend and what an asshole he was. <laughs> <laughs> or I want to talk about how mad I am about this. Or I want to talk about, you know, whatever. And so you actually kind of develop a relationship with your brain over time. You really get a sense of like, what does it want? What does it want to be heard about? What does it want to talk about? And I was thinking like, I think because my writing practice all through my, all through my teens and through much of my 20s was really, really grounded in this like free writing, kind of just letting my brain say whatever it wanted. Um I think I had a better relationship with my brain and I think I wasn't as scared of it as I am now. And so I think that that going to that quiet place where you can hear your own thoughts and you can hear the story wasn't as scary as it is now. Um, I think those things are all connected, do you know? And I think that meditation is probably another way of accessing that kind of relationship. Um, Hmm. But either way... I find it really interesting, like, how resistant I am to it now because it used to be, like, my safe space back in Mm. the – before Twitter existed. (laughs) Mm. Before Twitter became my safe space. (laughs) A terrible, terrible safe space. For sure. Toxic safe space. God. Which Uh, is full of puppy pictures. What's up? (laughs) Puppy pictures. (laughs) If uh, if one of the things you're supposed to be practicing is being more present, mm-hmm. uh, to I think like you could do this in terms of meditation or in terms of free writing. Um, but another thing that gets mentioned in this book and something that I had done previous to reading this book but didn't have a term for. Um, is focus meditation and the way I have like done it for many years is to close my eyes somewhere like kind of busy and kind of loud and try to hear absolutely everything that's going on at the same time like try to simultaneously identify okay that's a bird flapping above me this is a person walking by that's a car that's a different type of car like this is a door slamming and like one of the one of the things that happens to me is like it really really quickly becomes like sensory overload like i didn't know how many things i'm listening to listening to all the time Mm. um but it really helps me be present and i think you could also do it as a writing exercise that would be frustrating as fuck trying to write every possible thing you are like experiencing in some sense mm-hmm. all at once. Uh, 
I know I could definitely not keep up writing it by hand. I can barely keep up thinking it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could be interesting to try that. Yeah. It's like a two birds, one stone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and also I think that that, it, it's kind of getting at almost the same thing as like the idea of free writing, which is that you're, you're almost like telling your brain, like you're, you're saying like, I acknowledge the things, like I acknowledge what's happening right now. I acknowledge what you're hearing. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Like you're doing your look brain. You're doing a lot of work to filter things out right now. Good job or <laughs> whatever. Mm-hmm. But just to kind of ground you in that reality and, and, and say like, okay, once, you know, all, once we've sort of attended to all of that, now we can clear things out, you know, for the actual work. Um, another Mm -hmm. I've done, which is like kind of similar, uh, or it's, I don't know, I think it it accomplishes a similar end is like, if I'm feeling very resistant to writing, I will sit down and free write about why I don't want to write. Um, and I will just flat out like complain about like, I hate writing. I don't want to write. This is dumb. This book is dumb. I'm a horrible writer. I'm a horrible person. (laughs) (laughs) The usual snowball. I mean, seriously, but it's like, but what happens is eventually you get bored of complaining. You just do. And so, Uh um, and actually last fall, I said that I wasn't writing at all. That's not quite true. I tried to do NaNoWriMo. I petered out pretty fast, but, um, but I, I tried to do NaNoWriMo in this really kind of experimental way because I was in such a, like, I was in a really bad place. Like, it was right after my dog had died, and so I really wasn't in the mood. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was doing this experiment where I thought, what if I, instead of trying to write my book, which seemed impossible, what if I just write, like, what happens in my book? <laughs> mm-hmm. book? Um, right. Like, I was felt like I was doing some, like, kind of, like, blocking or something. And so... You know, I would write like, okay. <laughs> um, Hi, Alfie. I would write like, uh, okay, so in this scene, they're going to like, they're all going to ha- sit down and have dinner. And um, the conflict is that this guy is mad at this guy. And I would just type all that out, right? So I just felt like I was, you know, all my, my word count was all me mm-hmm. talking things through. But before I could even do that, like most days, I would start my, my, like, and I counted it as part of my official NaNoWriMo word count was like literally a paragraph or two of being like, I absolutely do not want to write today. I have a headache. I don't feel good. I am like, I hate writing. Writing is a terrible, whoever thought that was a good idea, <laughs> whatever. Mm-hmm. After like a paragraph or two, I'd be like, Okay, well, anyway, but so, okay, we're in this train and, you know, (laughs) Um, and so I think that that is like, it is an effective strategy, right? It works for Mm. me is that, and it's the same basic idea, which is that your brain is like, listen to me, I have things to say. And you're like, okay. And then it turns out that your brain, the things that it wants to say are pretty stupid, but we are, yeah, it's not going to be alone until it feels heard. And those, like, thoughts have a way of defining you. Like, if you think, I hate writing, or writing is the worst, then you, like, you don't really know that, for me, writing is very, like, healthy. The actual action of doing it 
but all these thoughts of the pre-writing emotions of, no, fuck it, I'm not doing it. Uh-uh, I'm not sitting down. I'm not going <laughs> to open up a Word doc and get on it because I think that's a horrible idea. Um, those thoughts are so dangerous in the end because they're just not the truth and they become truths. Right, right. And so that's, I think that's why something like free writing or pre-writing or complaining or meditating, all of that teaches you that those are just thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. And that it's like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) like, that's how you feel. That's fine. Like, is that, that's how you want to play it. Okay. I see. I mean, it's all right. So we're still going to (laughs) write, you know, like, that's fine. I yeah. I feel like I so much of like my writing life is I said I mentally send myself the gif of um from the Big Lebowski where he's like that's just your, your opinion man um, <laughs> like where you know where I just have a lot of resistance and I'm like all right do you think mm. that's just your opinion same thing with like you know with the editorial voice where you're like this is terrible oh that's what you're gonna write woof that's not good Um, Mm -hmm. and then I just say like all right that's fine that's that's your opinion but it doesn't matter (laughs) we're still doing it you know Mm -hmm. yeah well man writing it's the worst (laughs) (laughs) I've just realized that my my pre-writing rituals are very similar to like my uh pre-going to the therapist rituals where I'm like, I don't fucking want to do it. It's boring. I don't get anything out of it anyway. I hate it. Mm-hmm. This is no good. And then when I make myself do it, I'm like, ooh, okay. I remember now. That's right. <laughs> that was all just lies before. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I've heard people say the same thing about going to the gym. I personally would not know. <laughs> 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 but uh, no, I'm just kidding. Like, I, I have definitely felt the same thing with, like, yoga classes in the past where it's like, I don't want to, that's, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe I'll just mm-hmm. skip this week. And then you're like, well, okay, let's just, let's just do it. And then at the end, you're like, this is amazing. I feel great. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why. Why do we? Why have- we sabotage ourselves? Yeah. I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I read recently, though. I read um, just recently. I read the book "Ill Will" by Dan Sean. I think is how you say his last name. C H A. Um, I, <laughs> the book itself is extremely perplexing, and the ending is like sort of confusing. And so I was looking up like interviews with him because I was like can, does he ever explain like what the, what <laughs> what the hell <laughs> um but he said somewhere that he that if he's gonna write for an hour it takes him an hour to prepare like to write and I thought that was very interesting um and that and he said you know especially like if you take any time off of writing like if you're not writing every day like he said I think he said 
if you take three days off of writing, it takes you three days to get back into the novel. And I was like, "Uh oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't like those numbers, Molly. Oh my and god!" I thought it was so interesting, though, that idea that like you know, it like it takes them an hour to get ready for an hour of writing. And I thought, I think if you it's kind of the same thing. It's like, if you just normalize that and, and accept that, like, this is a part of my process is that there's an hour where I'm like fiddling around and getting ready to write, then you're not going to beat yourself up for like, I just wasted an hour doing nothing. You know, mm. you say like, no, that's a part of the process is that I take, you know, it takes me an hour of whatever, making coffee and sharpening my pencils or whatever. Um, right it's like accounting for warming your car up in the winter right (laughs) right and I think I mean I think that like so much of this comes back to like what are the things that we're beating ourselves up for um which and then the more you beat yourself up the more you don't want to write because you're like it's just going to be more you know self-abuse basically (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. so yeah his uh, his statement really rings true for me too because I'm sure I complained about it to both of you at some point. But like one of my big struggles in the MFA was never feeling like I had enough time to write in big enough chunks. Where it was like if I only had an hour and I needed to do some writing, that was never enough to get fully immersed in my project and do some of it and mm-hmm. like come down from it. Mm-hmm. Like I needed, you know, at least three hours to really dig into it. Three hours to account for the times that I was going to, like, be biting my nails and have to get up and throw my nail clippings away while I was halfway through a sentence. (laughs) But it, it really, you know, for as much writing time as I had, I needed, like, twice that to do, you know, the actual writing. I didn't feel like I had any writing time <laughs> during in graduate school. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the other thing is, is that you're, which, you know, that like, there is a lot to be said for just having a day job that you don't bring home with you. Mm. And that at, you know, whatever you clock out at 5 PM and then between five and whenever you go to bed is a hundred percent your time. And, you know, you have five or six hours that you really could be, that could be your time that you sit down and and write. Um, And that for whatever reason, we've all been pushed into like the idea that academia is the best match for people who want to. But academia, I mean, it, it offers you some chunks of time that are relatively unstructured if you can afford <laughs> to take a whole... The summer? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, or like, you know, the if you're actually, if you actually get to be a tenured professor and you actually... Sabbatical. Sabbatical, right? Mm-hmm. But like... But in the meantime, you know, there's nothing you don't actually have much free time or like you don't have a lot of extra real estate in your brain that, you know, I think you have to work twice as hard to get into that headspace of being present um, 
and and being ready to write right because so much of your time is taken up by students and planning and then coming down from teaching like Mm. you know like I got home from class last night and I was like very wound up and also very exhausted (laughs) yeah I was like oh my god yes I never want to talk to anyone again (laughs) (laughs) and you just add those hours to the hours of the pre-writing and they just keep getting longer and longer right and I mean it's like Bronte was talking about with decompression um I remember when I was teaching middle school the the summers I would have all these big plans of how I would spend my summer but the first like week or two of summer break every time I would be just on the couch watching tv for like two straight weeks (laughs) (laughs) because I was so dead you know and then after two weeks I would be like okay now I'm ready to go and like be a human and be in the world again but it would just be this really hard crash of not doing anything and not being and really just not feeling like a functional person um it really I mean it really felt like a detoxifying time you know that was necessary um yeah and so and when people would say like oh teachers you have it so easy you have the summers off I'm like you don't understand (laughs) like (laughs) (laughs) That is that is like medically necessary, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I would be like murdering your children. <laughs> but um, but yeah, yeah, all of these things, and 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 we live in a society that is all about multitasking and all about, you know, productivity and like fetishizes busyness, um, mm-hmm. and so you know, all those things really run counter to like the project of being quiet and being present and listening to what your brain has to say, you know, and then heaven forbid, actually typing some words (laughs) on the computer. Mm -hmm. So in summary, academia is trash. (laughs) I second that. Funny you mentioned that. Um, so, um, basically all of our episodes have been on some level about me and Anna bemoaning, not being able to really write. (laughs) Yep. Or just not doing it or whatever. Um, and recently I was, um, reading a book with some friends and it was called Skeleton Keys by Brian Switek. And it's this book about like the history of bone in like, well, just the history of bone on earth and then like in human culture and, you know, like how is it just a total coincidence that we ended up with the bones we have and then like what meaning do we make of them and everything. Um, but there is one quote about uh, DNA analysis and how you can extract DNA from bone for up to about 6 million years because of DNA's half-life. Mm-hmm. And so he said something like, you have to be really careful of not contaminating a dig site if you want to take DNA samples because imagine getting the lab results back only to find out you'd been buried in that cave the whole time. Uh- 
And my writer brain was like, that's a good ass story idea. I'm going to write that. (laughs) Uh, So I like went straight up to my room and started like typing out a little bit and got a couple paragraphs in to the story. And then like for the next week or over the next week, I, I wrote, you know, like 10 pages of it or something, which was much more than I had written consistently since I graduated. Uh, but like, like four fucking sentences in, I realized that this story was not at all about DNA analysis and finding your own corpse. I was the whole time, I will send it to you guys sometime, complaining about academia. <laughs> <laughs> because it started out with like, okay, there's this anthropologist, but I want it to be like about their friend who's going to like join them on the dig site and find like contaminated or whatever. And then I had to write about how they knew each other, like from different fields. And then I had to write about like just all, all of the like bullshit that I didn't know I had pent up came cascading out in this story. (laughs) And so now I'm 3000 words into it and I still haven't even gotten to like, the part where these two characters meet up for the first time and go big. <laughs> right, like the hook. <laughs> you haven't gotten the yeah. hook. Yeah. <laughs> have have not got there yet. I'm hooked though. I... A story that hates academia. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, I mean it I I got to, you know, the end of the section I was writing and I was like, so maybe this has been kind of blocking me. <laughs> Right. Well, I, that goes back to my argument that your brain wants to say what your brain wants to say, you know, mm-hmm. and, Absolutely. and that, and I, I really do believe that there are, there are certain stories that, you know, like a, like a toddler who doesn't want to go somewhere, you know, just clamps their little fists around your leg and you're going to drag it with you until you sit down and actually write the story and then there are some stories that are not like that and you can walk away from them and it's all right. Um, but with the ones that, that demand to be told, um, you know, I, I am frequently having conversations with myself like, well, you're going to have to write this eventually. You might as well write it now because you don't get to, you don't get to ha- like move on <laughs> until you've done it. You really mm-hmm. don't. Yeah. You can take a break. And work on a, a different essay for a month, but <laughs> but those numbers come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's absolutely how I felt about it. I was like telling myself, I'm like, all right, brain, let's get to the part where I'm actually, you know, writing the the weird part of the story that I like. The whole reason I'm writing the story in the first place. And my brain's like, hold on, let me add just like one more dig at tenure. Okay, no, no, no. Uh, let's talk about academic journals for a second and on and on and on. Yeah. It, let me, yeah. let me complain about the copy room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and honestly, as soon as I like had all those things on the page, I, I walked away from the story for a good couple of weeks and I was like, I feel so good. And also I want to keep writing that story, but how amazing that I just got all of that purged out of my system. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard recently that um, 
like if you've been held as like a prisoner of war um, <laughs> and then you come you you are you know you are brought home like you spend quite a lot of time in the army uh, or the military whatever like de- decompressing like you know partially because they want to figure out if you've like acquired any useful information while you were a prisoner of war but also like because it legitimately is difficult to go from that experience back into just like the world where you can just like go to Target and buy a thing if you want, you know, <laughs> or right. yeah. and, like that some autonomy, right? And that like everyone is like really, you know, you go back into like especially like the American cultural experience where everyone is like very interested in what happened to like on dancing with the stars and you're like um i lived in a basement for the last two years (laughs) right or whatever and but i think it's interesting that like maybe the same thing should happen um in academia (laughs) (laughs) you should have like a solid like two-week decompression with like experts who can really help you you know like, to make sure you're not a spy. No, but to to help you get back into a place where you're like, right. healthy and comfortable in the real world again. Instead um, of like your parents' house where they're like, what are you doing? Get out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I mean, I think like actually one thing that because I feel that like a lot of graduate school is just being constantly gaslighted um by people who keep telling you like these are the best years of your life I mean much of like (laughs) much of you know youth and education is that anyways people telling you that these are the best years of your life but like professors telling you things about their own experiences and insisting that you experience the same thing even though it's a different decade and or administrators saying like oh no that isn't happening this is being taken care of right or, right Oof. yeah yes absolutely or your own professor is saying like oh yeah this like extremely like complicated inter-office drama is absolutely not happening and you guys shouldn't worry about it and then you graduate and they're like yeah no that was definitely happening <laughs> we just don't <laughs> know about it but um <laughs> But but that that compounds, right? And there that is like a traumatic experience of like being told that the reality that you're experiencing is not the is not the reality you're experiencing. That is trauma. That is like a type of violence, frankly. And so um that you know that we don't have a, a system of, of really kind of decompressing or or coming out of that is is maybe a a problem honestly i mean guys like think about the the literal building that our department was in was... <laughs> the fort <laughs> it was it was literally built to to uh suppress um gatherings riots and riots. yeah yeah it was built mm-hmm. in the 70s and it was like it was a hundred percent designed to like you know, to push against any sort of gathering, any sort of community. We literally lived in a place that was, like, afraid of riots. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think on the surface, it sounds kind of flippant to talk about, like, academia being, like, a traumatic institution, but I think that's really 
really something that we need to talk about more is that, you know, there is a lot of gaslighting. This isn't, <laughs> I don't think you're exaggerating that it is like literally inflicting trauma on everyone who comes in in one way or another. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it is, it is a really, I mean, you basically have an entire generation of people who can and not just English majors, people in all different, you know, corners, all different fields who are coming up through the system who did quote unquote everything right and are, and are for whatever reason finding that the job isn't there. Um, the, you know, because the whole system has changed basically and that tenure is a, is a dream for most people. It's a false promise. It's just not available. Um, and so, I mean, academia is, it's like being in an abusive relationship, honestly, where you're trying to do everything right. And, you know, if you just fill in all the boxes and do everything right and, and, and make yourself small and not ask for too much, you know, maybe hopefully you'll be granted with the thing. Um, and then so many people are coming out and saying like, wait, but where's the thing? I did everything right. Um, and that it is traumatic. It is tra- It's tra- because, because we also, our culture likes to tell you that that's your personal failure. If you, mm-hmm. if you can't find the job that's mm-hmm. systemic and structural, that's just like you sucking, you know? And so then it's really easy to like internalize that and turn that blame and, and trauma in on yourself. Um, but no, I mean, it's a, it's an entire generation of people that are finding that. And I, I think it is traumatic. Um, especially if it's something you love and especially, you know, I think there are mm-hmm. people that come out of academia who are like, I genuinely love teaching. I genuinely love teaching and I'm genuinely know I'm good at it. I love my students and I can't get a job. And that is really sad. And especially mm-hmm. after being in academia where you've had a bunch of professors who are jackasses who don't, particularly seem that interested in teaching or or right don't, don't clearly excel at it right or like are just there you know are doing the minimum amount of work in order to have the office and have the summers off i mean that you know that's not imaginary either we had some of those people <laughs> mm-hmm. um and it's very frustrating so yeah no, yeah, I think I think it's it makes sense, Bronte, that your that your brain has a lot it wants to say <laughs> about how academia is crap. <laughs> um, but like a, a very good friend of mine is going through this right now, where she has just recently completed her PhD in creative writing, has published a number of books, has literally a national profile and a national platform and still can't find a job. Um, Yeah. And she is, it's, it's just so it's been so hard on her Um, just to watch her go through it. It's really heartbreaking. Um, And, but I'm also, but not surprising. Do you know, like when she, when the 
the year started, the job searching year, I was like, good luck. (laughs) 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 Because it's just, it's not good for anyone, you know, Mm -hmm. but it is, but that's kind of a good reality check for me to see, like, this is somebody who is so clearly accomplished, so clearly has a, you know, a very strong publication record. Um, and, and, you know, and like I said, has done everything right, has the MFA, has the PhD, and still can't even get like a visiting assistant professor position, you know, a one or two year, like, Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's just, it's really pure adjunct crap out there. Yeah, Mm -hmm. which is, yeah, yeah, it's, it does does make it easier to realize it's not a personal failing looking at it like that right when it's somebody else (laughs) (laughs) but it's like it's impossible to see that if it's you right like if it's your (laughs) it's you know i mean you're like oh yeah for everyone else it's like clearly like a a huge system full of like really gross injustices but for me it's just because i'm a loser (laughs) (laughs) In my case, I'm just a fuck up. <laughs> um, yeah. But that's that's our. I mean, that we're trained to believe that we're trained to believe in this individualistic thing, mm-hmm. right? And 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 conversely, we're trained to believe that like we're the exception to the rule, right? That like, okay, even though it's not like it's not like when you're in graduate school or even when you're going into graduate school, it's not like you're you've never heard the idea that tenure positions barely exist anymore and that everything is adjuncting and that the the whole market is shit. You know, we've all heard it, but Mm -hmm. you're also led to believe that like, but not for you (laughs) for some reason, Mm -hmm. you're going to be the exception. Um, yeah, which I, which is, I don't know. Because some people are, right? Some people get that. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of a magical thinking that is, it's it's really hard. So, yeah. As I yeah, looking looking forward to going to class tomorrow. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna write on the board. I hate everything like leave well i mean and the irony is that you have you have the job right like you have you have the thing that everyone thinks they want and that everyone tells you you should want mm-hmm. so everything yeah you should be uh so thankful you should be happy every day <laughs> yeah that my productivity is measured every fucking second yeah. like i'm in a factory punching in numbers Yep. Yeah. 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 It's right. Which I think also, I mean, that is also setting people up for like a big crash. Right. If like, it's again, you, you spend how many years believing like, okay, if I could just, if I could just do this next thing, if I could just, whatever, if I could just, if I could just finish this and then I could just finish. Okay. Now I could just publish my book. I just get the job. And then you do all the things and then you're like, well, I, I'm still not happy. <laughs> like, this isn't, <laughs> like, 
And then, right, and then that's very perplexing as well because now you've done all the things that everyone said you were supposed to do and it's, like, still not, I don't know, it doesn't feel good and that's Mm -hmm. really troubling. Yeah. I don't have any answers, unfortunately. (laughs) I mean, I do. My answer is find a billionaire uh uh-huh. who will pay your rent for a year yeah so yeah more billionaires please personal billionaires everyone on the planet should have their own personal billionaire yeah well that's how it should go yeah and and even that i mean frankly even that i am i am a little troubled by like the idea that we are currently living in a time, in an era that believes that like that this kind of a thing is on the shoulders of billionaires to decide if they mm-hmm. you know at their personal whim that and not say a thing that government could fund or a thing that taxpayers could fund right like mm-hmm. um, it has changed enormously from what it was in the past like the arts were the foundation of society and now it's like can I have a penny, please? <laughs> well, I mean, I th- we go through cycles, certainly. And, like, the idea of, like, wealthy wealthy families supporting artists is certainly uh, an um, ancient one, right? Like, if you think... Mm-hmm. We've yeah. returned to the era of, of patrons. Well, yeah, the Renaissance. Yeah, or the era of the robber barons. You know, I mean, think of, like, Andrew Carnegie, who built a lot of libraries and museums, but, like, it was all, you know... Tax-deductible? Well, it was just, I mean, he was... (laughs) It was all to, like, make his own personal name live forever and help people maybe look away from the ways that he had, like, had gotten wealthy in the first place (laughs) through exploitation and extraction, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're, I think we're really, we're in a place that, a similar place that we were like a hundred years ago, um, you know, in the, in the robber baron era, um, where if you were lucky, the wealthy people felt guilty enough to fund some schools and orphanages, you know, (laughs) but that's, but it, but you're, you are, you know, the majority of the people are reliant on like the, the, the largesse, the, um, the, I don't know, the wealthy people being nice, essentially. Um, and that's, right. <laughs> that's a very unhealthy way to build a system. As we all know, billionaires have very little motivation to just be nice. I mean, frankly, <laughs> right? seriously um yeah especially if you're in a billionaire class that where charity is not a particular value that your your cool billionaire buddies you know aren't putting social pressure on you to Mm -hmm. fund the arts or whatever Mm -hmm. um so yeah so anyway in summary everything is terrible <laughs> let's get a whole new system yeah i mean in this podcast we rarely offer answer to our questions but the 
the answer today is a billionaire. <laughs> yeah. A billionaire or you know, global anti-capitalism. Mm. Right. I wonder which one is most probable. <laughs> well, it, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, maybe the billionaire. <laughs> In my case, it certainly is more likely. Um, although we do, I mean, you do have a lot of, you see a lot of people sort of discussing a, um, a universal basic income. And I wonder how many people would, that are now feel like they don't have the time um, or the ability to pursue the arts. I wonder if there was a universal basic income, how many people would be trying to write or trying to paint or trying to, you know, create something um, if their health insurance and their ability to buy food wasn't so directly connected to the punching the clock right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean I would I, I'm guessing it would be more than now um, I saw when I worked at the writing school in Chicago um, I was there when the economy crashed in 08 and we actually had that was a bumper year for us that was a really good year for us uh, <laughs> because all these people that had, you know, quote unquote, like responsible jobs, um, practical jobs in finance, um, mm-hmm. who who had gotten laid off because the, their whole industry collapsed, um, showed up and said, "Well, I I have, you know, I have a pen or not a pension, but whatever they give you when they they fire you." Mm-hmm. I have some money and I always wanted to be a writer, but I went into finance because that seemed like the more practical job and that wasn't practical as it turns out. And I've been laid off and now I'm going to try to write my novel. Um, and so, yeah, I think that there are, I think that there are a lot, a lot, a lot of people out there who want, you know, or at one point wanted to do art and, turned away from it for financial reasons. Right. Or at least people who like, even if they're not particularly inclined to would try it. Right. Yeah. Because, because why not? Because sometimes I'm bored and my mind wanders and this happens and I wonder if I can turn it into anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you think about the people that take like a pottery class when they retire or, a painting class or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I always wanted to learn how to play the piano. When I retire, <laughs> I'm going to take It's piano. too late to be a prodigy, Molly. Well, that's certainly... No, no, it's not. <laughs> I, think, I think my arthritis is too bad to be a piano prodigy <laughs> at this point. <laughs> um... But yeah, I mean that, but again, I think that that's like a bigger pattern in our whole society, which is that like you spend your whole, your whole, you know, adulthood essentially punching the clock and, and putting off the joyful parts of your life until retirement you know? right. and just hoping that you live 
that long. Um, and that social security holds out long enough that you're actually able to retire, um, which is a bummer, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but yeah, I don't know. But mean in the meantime, uh, we just keep trying to chip away at our little projects, I guess. And with that tone of I'm sorry that I just, sadness. Like, I know I've made your podcast so bleak. I'm so sorry. Nah, it's good. It was like it's necessary. This, <laughs> Sometimes we need a downer episode. You guys can just cut. Why don't you just cut the whole last twenty minutes? <laughs> and just end with like, oh, the we were talking about meditation. That was good. Okay. <laughs> That was like an hour ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're too much in the deep here. I'm sorry. Uh, I think like one of the central tenets of our podcast is commiseration. So it's perfect. Mm-hmm. And I'm, For sure. I'm assuming you you talk about like capitalism being a problem on most episodes. Yeah. We well, allude to it. It makes an appearance here and there, but oh. tonight was a night. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we thank you, Molly, for I Wow, I'm surprised. That. I, I, yeah, okay. I feel like I'm getting we will. more radical as I get older. <laughs> we'll have to do a full, a full politics episode one of these days. Oh, no, no, do not. All right, thanks for listening. Next episode, we want to answer some questions from our beloved new listeners. Send us an email for a topic or a question or a writing confession. You can find us at writingdying at protonmail.com. W-R-I-T-I-N-G-D-Y-I-N-G at protonmail.com.